Cautioning those who may have a false sense of assurance, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. If there isn't corresponding change in your life because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to re-examine your life before God. Because just saying you're saved doesn't mean you're saved. Because you prayed a sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're saved. Because you're sitting in church or you own a Bible or you're wearing a cross, or you have some Christian t-shirt, or you went to some Christian concert, none of that matters if there isn't corresponding change in your life. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It is a well-established fact that with life comes growth, and that means change. It's not only true physically, but spiritually as well. This is Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. If you've been with us, you'll know we paused our study of Hebrews 11 and turned to the book of James. We've done so to glean insight on the flip side of faith. Here now with today's message is Pastor Ed. James chapter 2 in a Bible study that I've entitled, True Faith, always leads to works. True faith always leads to works. Now, remember, we are studying through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. We've been in the book of Hebrews for some time, and we've landed in chapter 11, which is known as the hall of faith. It's not known as the hall of failure. It's known as the hall of faith. Even though every person that's mentioned in there experienced great mistakes and great failures, when God decided to remember them and remark of them, he remembers their faith. But it's not just their faith. I mean, we read over and over again, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. But what is highlighted is what faith did. It was the actions of faith. It wasn't merely that they said they had faith. It wasn't merely that they were known as followers of God. What they're known for in Hebrews 11 is what they did, their acts. And what we often refer to the acts of faith as works. And I have to say in the body of Christ today, there's a lot of confusion among believers when it comes to this issue of faith and works. And there's a lot of confusion, especially concerning salvation and works. And I felt like it was time in this this study in Hebrews to stop and lay a foundation and be reminded of how faith and works go together. Because they're both a part of our lives. But we have to have them in the right order. So we learned last time that we are not saved by works. That's very important to understand. Your works, your good deeds is not what God uses to save you. Now, some of you may have been raised in a religious system or in a very moral, upright home where you were taught to do good, be good, do good, because then we'll be happy with you. Then God will be happy with you. And and it's your responsibility to be good and to do good. And that gets translated into this sense of if I'm good, then God will love me. God saves me. But if I'm bad, 
then God discards me and I'll be in trouble. And a lot of people live their life even like this today. And sometimes religions, false teachings, even cults will take this frustration. I would say this, most people I've met, most people, not all people, but most, a majority of people I've met over the years like to do good. There are very, very few people that are pretty rotten to the core that don't want to do good. Most people want to do good. Most people want to help. Most people want to be a good for society. Most people want to, now of course it's tainted and it's twisted by our selfishness, but most people want to do good. And when you carry that over into your relationship with God, it it sounds something like this. I want to do good because I want God to like me. I want to do good because I want God to bless me. I want to do good because I want God to give me the forgiveness of my... I want to earn what I want from God. And the truth is, is that God's gift of salvation, God's gift of forgiveness, God's gift of the removal of guilt from your life cannot be earned by your good works. And the phrase that we use to describe that is, you and I are not saved by our good works. And let me read to you one of the the, the passage in the Bible that says it the most clear, the absolute clearest place in the Bible. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Let me just read it to you. You can let it soak in. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So we are not saved by works, but we are saved for works. There is a need for good works in our lives and good actions. As you've learned before, what you believe will dictate your behavior. What you believe to dictate how you behave, how you act. And so that means on the flip side that if I watch you and I see your behavior for long enough, I can pretty much tell what you believe. And I could feed that back to you. So I believe in God. Yeah, but you live like the world. So your belief in God or your so-called belief in God hasn't changed you. And so whatever you believe about God isn't enough for your life, for you to surrender your life. And I, how, you say, Ed, how can you see that? Well, I can say it by seeing it. And that's the problem when it comes to faith. When God changes a person from the inside out, we don't see how he does that. It's invisible. The work of faith is an invisible to the eye. We don't see it. So that when you come to me and say, well, Ed, I believe in God and I'm born again, I didn't see that happen. I don't know how God does it on the inside. None of us are able to see that. However, you know that a person that's changed on the inside, it will be seen on the outside. There will be corresponding change for a person that's been born again. How do I know that? The Bible says that. The Bible says for a person that's born again that you're a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And how careful we need to be when it comes to faith and works to not emphasize one over the other, they both go together. And some of the confusion actually comes when you're reading the Bible because you have two prominent men in the Bible that appear to say the exact opposite. 
And sometimes people will come and say, I found a contradiction in the Bible. I'll say, well, where is it? Show me the passage. And they'll take me to Romans where it talks about how the Bible speaks of us that the just shall live by faith, that we are justified by faith. Or in Ephesians, we are saved by faith. And we go, yeah, how are you saved? By faith. And then we jump over. You're in James chapter 2. Notice what, what James says about Abraham. Notice in James chapter 2, look at verse 21 with me. James says this, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? And so people go, what is it? Are you justified by faith? Are you justified by works? It sounds like a contradiction. Which one is it, Ed? Let me give you the answer. You ready? It's both. It's both. These brothers aren't contradicting each other. They're actually giving us a perspective. They're giving us truth from a different perspective. When Paul writes about justification by faith, he writes of our relationship to salvation toward God. That there is no other way that you can be made right with God except by faith. We're not saved by works. We're saved by a work. Very different. We aren't saved by our works. We're saved by his finished work. Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again. It's his finished work that saves you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that saved you. Even in Titus chapter 3, I think it says that we are not saved by works of righteousness. So baptism doesn't save you. Church attendance doesn't save you. Bible reading doesn't save you. Prayer doesn't save you. Sharing the gospel doesn't save you. Only God saves you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Are we clear on that, church? So when Paul writes, he's writing about that finished work of God in your life through the cross. When James writes, he writes not in your relationship to God as much as your relationship to other people. How will other people see your salvation? How will other people see you're born again? How will other people understand that you're a believer in Jesus Christ? It will be by your works. It will be by your activity. It's like, the, like a coin, like a coin. If you were to take a coin out of your pocket today and you would say, well, what is this coin? And you would look at it and go, it's heads. And then somebody sees the other side of it and they say, what is this coin? And they say tails. And then you start arguing, it's heads, it's tails, it's heads, it's tails. No, it's the same coin, two different sides. And the coin of salvation has two sides to it. The relationship you have with God and the relationship you have with others. And that's why Jesus said the whole law is summed up in this. You will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So true faith will always lead to action, obedience. And be careful here because there's always someone that wants to come along and bring you into bondage through your works. There's always someone that you meet that says you're not doing enough for the kingdom. You're not doing enough for God. You're not going to church enough. You're not reading the Bible enough. You're not smiling enough. You're not serving enough. You're not doing, there's always someone. I mean, some of you, some of you serve so much that resting is hard for you. But you know, resting is from the Lord. When you obediently, when God is telling you to obediently pull back, or God is telling you to obediently change directions, you're doing that by faith. And we need to do everything by faith because the Bible says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
I know some of you in your relationship with God, you were like, would you just tell me what to do, Ed? Tell me what to do. And if I was to, if we were to set up a system and say, well, anyone, I'm just, I'm new to the faith. I don't know what to do. And we set up a list for you and I gave it to you and it has 10 things to do the rest of your life. Many of you would take that list and you'd work it till the day you die. You'd work through the whole thing. You'd look at number one and master two, master three, master you. That would be the list. All you would really pay attention to are those 10 things. And, and you would live it out and you would go, and somebody would ask you, why do you only focus on those 10 things? And you would say, because pastor told me to. Because that's how sincere and genuine you are. The problem is, is that, first of all, that would be the wrong thing because God doesn't rule by lists. He leads by his spirit. And that's why our lives are going all kinds of different directions. That's why the Holy Spirit loves to lead us. He doesn't push us. He doesn't prod us. He doesn't guilt us. He leads us with his cords of love. The greatest motivator in the world is love, not guilt. And the Holy Spirit leads us. You know, another problem with trying to follow a list is, is that you won't, if you have 10 things on your list, you won't look for 11 or 12 or 13. You're going to work the list. And God doesn't want you to work the list. He wants us to live by faith. And as we live by faith, he will lead and guide us and manifest himself through us. And your faith will lead to good works. Which also brings us to a place before we jump into the text that if you say, oh, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but you have no works, you should really consider if you believe in the one true God. You should really consider if you have a true born again experience with God. Because it's not enough just to say, I believe. How many times have you shared the love of Jesus Christ with somebody and what's their answer? I believe in God. Yeah, but the reason I'm sharing the gospel with you is because you say you believe in God, but you don't look like it. It doesn't appear. Your life doesn't look any different than any other person on the earth. Like you live for this world. You live for the things of this world. And, and so as we jump into this, we're saved. Remember, we are saved by works. Yes, no. No, we're not saved by works. We're saved for works. The only thing that saves us is the blood of Jesus Christ. With all that in mind, let's jump in. Verse 14 of James chapter 2. So listen to what James says. Listen, let it hit your heart. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? So let's ask that question today. Someone says they have faith but doesn't have works. Can faith save him? Yes or no? Yes, of course. So we've got that foundation. Yes, faith can save them. And he's asking that to lay it out. Now notice how he explains. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things that are needed for the body, what does that profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith without works is dead. Can faith save you? Yes. But faith always leads to works. Saying you have a faith and having no corresponding change is to have a fatal faith, a dead faith, and a useless faith. So what James is teaching us is that you can have real faith and have a season without works, but you can also have a false faith and never have works. And it's dead and useless. 
And that's really what it amounts to when a person says he or she is saved, but their life is no different from the world. It's dead. It's useless. It's lifeless. Yeah, you say you're a believer, but your life has no reflection of what it is for the Spirit of God to animate you in good works. And he uses this example. Another, I wouldn't call it silly example, but a startling example. I know the mirror one is kind of a silly. This is a startling example when he says this. Look, here's what it looks like. You say you're a believer. You say you love the Lord. You say you want to help your community. You say you want to be a force to be reckoned with in the kingdom. You want to have an eternal impact. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, you meet a guy, a brother, a brother. He starts in the body of Christ. You meet a brother or sister that's hungry. And instead of giving them food, you lay hands on them and go, oh, God bless you. Go and be warm. And uh, may the Lord take care of you when you leave. And James says, is that, is that really faith? The brother doesn't need a prayer. He needs a burger. He needs food. But here we are with our spiritual language. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, you're hungry. I should pray for you. Pray for them and get them a burger and get them some food. And I love how he says this. It's a brother because everything starts in the church. You know, here in the church of Jesus Christ, we get to practice love on one another. It's almost like this is practice and preparation for real life. And it's always good to make mistakes with people that we know are filled with agape love. So that if a hungry person came here, you go, oh yeah, you know, let me pray for you. And you don't give them food or, you know, they have a practical need. You know, a lot of times the church, you know, what happens is people will come with a practical need and you'll give them the church phone number. Oh, call the church. They'll take care of you. That's the same thing as saying, be, go and be warm and be, they're in front of you. They're in front of you and you are the church. Now, there may or may not be a way that the church at large can help them, but you're the church. Everything's not relegated to, well, call the church, call the church, call the church. I mean, even here in our food bank, we have other churches sending people here for help instead of helping them at the front door of their church. And, you know, that's fine. We'll do whatever the Lord calls us to do in serving people. But, man, when somebody's in front of you, your faith should lead action serving them and taking care of them, especially the body of Christ. It's not just relegated to the pastors or the leadership. We are the body of Christ, and we take care of each other. And your faith will lead you to action. It's not, well, let me go talk to Pastor Ed. No, you're in front of him. So you are the appointed brother or sister to take care of them, to minister to them, to serve them. And you can by faith. If you don't, then your faith is lifeless. And that's an easier way of saying that your faith is dead. It does no good, church. Listen, hear me out. It does no good to say that we have faith unless it's in operation and in action. That it's alive and vibrant. That we're obedient to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. That, that we, would, we would connect and integrate our faith into our everyday life, that there would be corresponding change because you're born again. Let me just repeat to you. If there isn't corresponding change in your life because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to re-examine your life before God. Because just saying you're saved doesn't mean you're saved. Because you prayed a sinner's prayer doesn't mean you're saved. Because you're sitting in church or you own a Bible 
or you're wearing a cross, or you have some Christian t-shirt, or you went to some Christian concert, none of that matters. Unbelievers can do all of that. What changes, I, in my own personal walk with the Lord, I worry, I'm anxious about things, I'm concerned about things, but one thing, except for some really crisis times in my life, I've never doubted, and I, and, and I have a couple times, so I don't want to say never, but uh, a couple times, real deep crisis, I've doubted, I got so deep and dark that I was wondering if I was a Christian or not, but God was very faithful. But for most of my life, I don't doubt that I'm a believer because I can look at my own life. I can look at my own life and see the change that God has done in my life. You know why? Because I tried to change many times before on my own. You know, when you're addicted and you're in all kinds of junk and, you know, you end up in jail again, man, when you're, a, when you're sitting in jail, you start thinking, I'm going to change my life. Why? Because I don't want to be in jail. Like, what do I get here again? And I feel so guilty, and I'm like, what an idiot I am, and, and Marie's going to leave me now. I need to change my life. So that I make a decision, change my life, and man, you know what? It goes good for about a week or two, and I get comfortable again, and then I'm falling right back into the same sin, running around, and then I'm getting, and it's worse the next time, and worse the next time. My parents watched me do that. My wife watched me do that. It was just a pattern. Oh, he's going to change. Oh, he's going to change. To the point that even after I came home from church and I, I asked God to save me and forgive me, and I came home to church to tell Marie, guess what? Great change in my life. The response was, got to wait it out. It's just another change. My parents the same way. It's like, oh, he's into something new again. He's into something. He got in trouble again, so now he's going to change his life. But that night was a real change because God did the work. True story from our very own Pastor Ed Taylor of Calvary Church, Colorado. And there's more about his story and the kind of faith that leads to a changed life. We'll hear about that and more next time here on Abounding Grace. Well, Pastor Ed, in your own story, you shared how you couldn't change till God began to do it. What did he do? And how will he do that for anyone? Well, let's take, that's two good questions, Larry. Let's take the last one first. Yes, yes. Yes, yes, he will do it for anyone. God is faithful. The Bible says that when we are born again, we are new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. We gain a new identity by our faith and relationship with Jesus. And what exactly did he do? He took control of my mind and my life as I surrendered to him. He changed me from the inside out. As I would open up the Bible and read it, he would conform and transform my mind into the image of Christ. As I would be in fellowship and prayer, God would change me and lead me and give me new desires, new thoughts, new direction. I mean, when you look at it in my own story, Larry, he, he taught me how to be a man, still teaching me, taught me how to be a husband, still teaching me. I taught me how to be a dad, taught me how to be a son, taught me how to be an employee, taught me how to be a servant of God. He taught me how to be a, a leader in his church. He taught me how to be a pastor and all these I'm still learning. And God is my teacher, the Holy Spirit inside of me. So yes, I want to encourage you right now. God will do it for anyone who surrenders to him. And I was reminded recently of Elijah, you know, he was he was there at the cave, discouraged, wondering what, what's going to happen to his life, running for his life, and 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 he's there, and he he this all this commotions happening around him, earthquakes and noises and and all of this activity. But the real answer was pause, 
and listen for that still small voice, just knowing God is speaking. So yes, trust the Lord. He's at work in your life. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Listen to our programs online at AboundingGraceRadio.com and through the Calvary Church app. And thank you for remembering Abounding Grace in your giving to the Lord. Every gift that comes in goes right to ministry. It plays an important role in helping us bring the truths of God's Word to the radio every day. And when you support the ministry today with a gift of $25 or more, we'll say thanks by sending you Depression, Looking Up from the Stubborn Darkness. We realize depression is a very real and common struggle, even among Christians. And God has the help you need. Edward Welch thoughtfully looks into depression, offering real and lasting hope to those that struggle. To order it today, call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. You can also go to calvaryco.store on the web. And there you can order our picks of the month. Glad to have you with us for today's broadcast. And we look forward to continuing the journey through Hebrews next time on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.